When I think of Mother's Day, and I think of, like, who will sit in the church, I think, well, there are a lot of women who are going to sit in this church today. Like, there are women who have had children. There are women who haven't had children. There are um, single women who want to be married who someday want to have children. There are daughters. There are sisters. You get my picture, right? There's a lot of people here today. And also who's here today, I read a stat that says, and I'm not sure how true it is, I probably need to fact check before I get up in church and start telling people facts, but I have heard that Mother's Day is the most male-attended service of the year. I don't know how true that is, but it could be true because a lot of times moms will, like, people say, what do you want, mom, you know? And I've heard a lot of women say, I told my kid, I just want them to come to church with me, right? And it's because there's something about, we know as moms, if you're a believer and you come to church, you know how important faith is. And the most important thing that we can do in our lives is to pour ourselves out in such a way that our kids would see the Lord, and so there's always the struggle for women who are mothers, I think. And maybe that's the good thing about Mother's Day is not so much that we have this day that's just set aside and we're just the shrine of femininity or whatever, but maybe it's that we want so bad to be good mothers and maybe sometimes we can find our identity actually in being mothers and sometimes maybe it's just good to have a thank you. So I'm going to go off grid today, and I'm going to say to you, and we're going to talk about identity, because as good as being a mom is, it is a small part of who we are. It's a large part in terms of time and love, but in terms of our identity, we as women, as children of God, and men too, we are so much more than the titles that hang over us, aren't we? We're so much more than that, and God has a plan for it. And to, so today, I'm going to be talking to you about, um, actually, you know, a lot of times on Mother's Day, people, women will get up and they'll have these great sermons. I know Jess did a couple of years ago. Jess Siegler got up and she was speaking, and she gave this, you know, she talked about the story of Ruth and Naomi, and it was very beautiful and inspirational, and, and um, it tends to go that way on Mother's Day. But today, I, when I thought about the sermon, I thought to myself like, man, where does my mind go to in the Bible? And oddly enough, it goes to a portion of scripture at the end of a chapter that always kind of catches me a little because Jesus asked, um, he's told his mom and his brothers are wanting to talk to him. And he says, who is my mother and my brothers? And then first read, you're like, what? Sweet Jesus, like he's saying that? Is he dissing his mama? That would hurt my feelings, right? And so I started digging into that chapter a few years ago. And one of the most beautiful things sprang from the most, one of the most confusing scriptures. And um, I want to take you a little bit on that journey with me today. Will you go with me there? Okay. So let's pray. Let's stand. Let's pray, if you don't mind. All right, well, Lord, we thank you so much for your presence here today. We thank you, Lord, that you want to be so close to us, that you want to heal our hearts, that you want to give us right perspective. Father, that you want for us to find ourselves inside of you because of your great, perfect love.
God, would you inspire us today to believe you for who you are? Would you inspire us to believe who we are in you? And God, would you give us clarity as we walk out this life for you? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So one of the, the, the most powerful things, and I know I don't, I don't ever get over it, and I talk about it all the time. It's kind of a lens that I look through, is this lens of Jesus and the fact that Jesus is in heaven, and Jesus, in all of his glory, stoops down, much like a mother or father or a teacher or someone who is trying to relate to someone younger, someone who doesn't know as much. I think of like my kids when they were little. When they were little, I would um, get in the floor and I would play with them and all these awesome lofty words I had learned in my my um earlier 20s and all the smart things and all the things were kind of shoved away because now I had to stoop down to where my children were and I had to use the language that they could understand and I had to love them in ways that they could receive and they could understand and I would teach them the basics of life and then it would take years to build on that, right? And I think that we can understand that. But one of the coolest things about Jesus is that he wasn't just, he's not, he's, he's not just here and he's stooping down. He came from heaven to earth. We used to sing a song about that, right? Came from heaven to earth, show the way. Yeah, God came from his glory into the messiness of humanity. He stoops down. And he wants to be eye to eye with us. And he wants to reveal his heart and his truth to us. And when I I was thinking about it last night, and, and I don't know, just remembering who Jesus is and just remembering the sacrifice the Father made on our behalf and and just knowing that the Holy Spirit is here living in me and he's showing me how to even love, it just floors me. And I thought to myself, like, you know, being that it is Mother's Day and that we are thinking a lot of like kids and our parents, but we have a world that we're influencing and we're leading, right? And so in that vein, I was just thinking of Jesus and how precious it is that he would even come and what that did for me to know that about him looked a little bit like I kind of, I like to break things up. So I thought to myself, like, Jesus being born on the earth and living like us, what did that look like for him? Like, how does that make me relate to God? And really and truly, I think about the fact that Jesus had appetites, just like me and you. I mean, we see he's at people's houses, but he had human appetites. He, he, he loved people. He wanted to be loved. There's no shame in that, right? And so we have a lot, we, we have those cravings. Jesus understands those things about us. Jesus also understands what it's like to be anonymous. Jesus understands what it's like because we know he was born. We celebrate that at Christmas time. And then we, we hear that when he's about 12 years old, his family makes this journey to the temple, and they're on their way back. It's, a day, it's days of traveling, and they're, they're pretty far into it, like, what is it, a couple of days out or something, and they're like, oh, where's Jesus? He's 12 years old. He's still back at church, essentially. He's at the temple. They left him at the temple. Has anybody left their kid at church? I have this year. 
I have left, in fact, in the last few weeks, Noah's been left at youth a couple of times. We were like, surely one of our kids who drive will bring him, but they did not. I don't know if they're just not wanting him. I don't know what's going on. But, um, you know, like, so he's at church. So he, you know, he... He's there. He's doing the things people do. Jesus is in broken relationships. You know, how many of us have been in broken relationships? A lot of us, every one of us. Some of us are part of the, the, the reason for broken relationships, right? With broken people. We know what Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted, you know? We know that because the word tells us that the that Satan took him after he was baptized into the into the wilderness to be tempted. And then Jesus dying. How does that like even what does that look like? What can that teach me about God stooping down to be able to love me and show me that he cares enough? Because it's one thing when someone is telling me how to live, but it's another thing when they have walked the path that I've walked. You know? I remember when I had a miscarriage right after Taylor, and I I knew a lot of women who had had miscarriages before. I knew that, but all of a sudden, now I have a miscarriage, and when women begin to talk to me, there's this solidarity. There's this this beautiful healing that takes place. So, So Jesus dying, like what, how can I relate to that? Well, Jesus knew what it was like to be betrayed by Judas. How many of you have been betrayed? Every one of us could raise our hands, couldn't we? All of us know that. What about dreading pain and suffering? Jesus dreaded pain. He prayed, if, like, Lord, if it's your will, like, take this cup from me. That cup, that was pain. It was the weight of the sin that he would bear for us. How many of us know what that's like? Relating to anguish, he knows what it's like to be able to, to have to sit and watch your mom as you die on a cross, a brutal death. There's a pain that is incredibly unique for people. And I know this because I had a dear friend who passed away probably six years ago, seven years ago, maybe just four. I don't know. Time is weird. But she, she passed away a while ago. And, and to watch her, the agony that she experienced, and I knew she was in pain, but the agony of watching her mom. And she knew her mom was so scared, you know? And her family was so scared. Only Jesus and people who go through that really know what that's like. And so Jesus went through so many things so he could relate to us. Jesus actually loved community. He loved it. He didn't just sit on the fringe of community, you know. He didn't just sit on the outside of the circle and watch community happen. He didn't watch the people um, worship. He didn't watch the teachers teach. He didn't watch the volunteers volunteer. Jesus put, the military term, I guess, he put boots to the ground. He got in, in the middle of the pain. He got into the middle of the hurt, and he loved well. And he loved rightly. And so Jesus loved his community. I mean, like, so he, he stayed at church because he loved church, you know. He went to where they were. You know, the blind saw, the deaf heard, the sick were healed, the dead on the inside were raised to life, but the dead on the outside were raised to life. 
Jesus did not come casually to this earth. He didn't come to watch. He came to be in the middle. And he did that because he knew who he was. His identity was set. He was born. He had a mission. And there was no time to waste because the time was short that he would be here. And so today on Mother's Day, we are going to talk a little bit about, we're going to talk about identity and kingdom, because that's what I like to talk about, is identity and kingdom, okay? And so the scripture that kind of perplexed me, we're going to turn to Matthew 12, 46 through 50. It says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside waiting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to speak to you. He replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister, just in case anybody would miss it. <laughs> you know, he's like my sister and my, and my mother. And so what we see here is Jesus is taking some time to say something. His mother and brothers aren't there. They don't hear it. His mom's not offended per se, but he is taking a minute. And what he is doing, when I first read it, I'm like, whoa, you're dissing your mama, Jesus. I don't get it, you know? But that's not what's happening at all. And as we kind of trek through, we're going to back up now. We're going to go through the first part of this chapter, and we're going to look at why would Jesus say that, and why was he taking a minute to flesh this out and be super intentional with his disciples, okay? So if you have a Bible, turn to, turn to Matthew 12 if you want to. So Bible scholars, and it's pretty evident that Mary and her sons were there basically because Jesus, he had a great start in that, you know, he went, his first miracle was at a wedding. He changed water to wine. I mean, that miracle probably caused people to want to put him on her shoulders and walk around with him, you know? In fact, when Jesus' ministry first started out, started out he actually was considered a, a great rabbi to the Jewish people. They liked him. He was a teacher. They called him teacher and rabbi. They liked him. He was invited to come in and, and speak and talk about the word. Jesus knew the word. He was the word. John says he was the word made flesh. That's who Jesus is. And so Jesus comes and he comes in word and he's got knowledge. He's wisdom. He's all of it. And so they embrace him, and he does things that don't really stir the pot so much. He turns water to wine. But then skip on to chapter 12, and we begin to see Jesus is now, he, the time of his death is getting closer, and it's getting closer, and Jesus knows that if he is going to be effective, he is going to have to tear down every high thing, every, everything in that community, every religious system that has caused the people to stumble, he has got to tear it down because there is no time to waste. 
And so Jesus, if we back up, we're going to see what the time right before him, talking about his mother and brothers, what that looked like. And so it all starts out with the Sabbath. We talked about this Wednesday night at Culture Night. It was fun. I thought it was fun. Um, I like Culture Nights. And so it's one of my favorite things. So on Culture Night, we talked about the Sabbath and how important the Sabbath is. You know, like we have this Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. And all of them are like, don't covet, don't don't murder, don't, you know, um, all the things. I know I do know my Ten Commandments, y'all. So, But, you know, like all of it. But then there's this one thing that the Lord does that's it's, it's a blessing for us, and it's the Sabbath rest. And it even says that man's not made for the Sabbath. We're not made to be bound to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for us. It's like this precious gift from God right there in the Ten Commandments. And still the conversation is, well, what does that mean? What does that require of us? Like, do we have to rest? I want to work. You know, how much can I do to where I'm, I'm kind of obedient to the, to the Sabbath without, like, totally not doing the Sabbath, okay? And so there's always a sin struggle. There's always this kingdom. We have these two kingdoms. We have the kingdom of God, and then we have, um, we have this kingdom here, this hum- humanity that's here. And so the Sabbath, again, is coming up, and Jesus and his disciples, maybe it was morning, we don't know, but his disciples are hungry. I don't know, are they just happening to walk through a grain field? I don't know. But they are walking through a grain field. They're hungry, and all of a sudden, his disciples, who are hungry, they grab the, the um, grain, I don't even know how it grows. I'm so not agricultural, but they, they grab it. And when Reagan talks about it, he does this. So maybe that's what you do when you eat grain. I don't know. And so they pop it in their mouth and they begin to eat it. And I don't know who the Pharisees are that are hiding in the grain fields. Maybe they're not hiding. I don't know the situation, but there are some Pharisees and they see Jesus, is in, Jesus and his disciples. And so they are like, gotcha. What are y'all doing? Don't you know that you're not supposed to be doing that? It is the Sabbath. There were so many rules to the Sabbath. Sabbath, literally, Jesus says to keep the Sabbath, to, to make it holy. Like this is a day set apart. That's what the Bible says. By the time Jesus comes, there are so many rules to the Sabbath that nobody can even keep track I mean, I got you's were everywhere, you know, like you couldn't even fathom the things you could not do on the Sabbath. And so Jesus is walking through there and they've like, we gotcha. Y'all aren't supposed to be doing that, are you? And Jesus, because the Bible says Jesus became our Sabbath, right? When Jesus came, he became our rest. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Sabbath. So Jesus is not intimidated by the I gotcha. I hate breaking rules. One of the things I hate the most in life is somebody like to break a rule and then somebody to get me. You know, I'm like, oh, I crumble, you know. And so I think of Jesus and I think of him walking through there and their gotchas didn't affect him one bit. And so he begins to say to them who, I mean, he was this teacher of the word, right? He begins to say to them, he was like, they said, you know, your disciples are, are eating. They're attacking his people. Sometimes they attack Jesus. Sometimes they attack his people, you know? And he, they go, we got you. You aren't supposed to be doing that. And Jesus says, don't you even know the word? Like, don't you know the word? 
Because the word, like, if you read your Bible, there was no Bible, but, you know, if you read the law, you would know. If you read the history, you would know David's done this. And he begins to kind of lay it out for them. And he's, he's showing them their own hearts in this. But then Jesus does something really cool when he says, I am the Sabbath. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, for the first time, Jesus is actually saying to them, I am the promise. I'm this fulfillment. I am. You don't have any authority over me to call me out because I am the very essence. I am the Sabbath. So that's the first part of the day. Good morning. Good morning, Pharisees. Then the next thing that happens is Jesus that day, possibly it feels like, that day they're going to the synagogue, they're on their way, and they pass a man with a withered hand, a deformed hand. And they pass him, and it's almost as if the Pharisees have kind of set this up because they know where he's going. And so they, they see Jesus, and Jesus is about to pass the withered hand man, and they go, Hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Since he, Jesus knew so much, I, they like, have attitude with him. And so Jesus, he looks at them, and this is what he says, okay? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, Then he said to the man, so he says that to them. Then he says to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched out his hand and it was completely restored just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went on and plotted how to kill Jesus. He healed somebody and they're plotting how to kill him. Okay, so what happens from there, if we want to look at the big picture, what happens from there is you can imagine withered hand has been healed. People, you know, people often, I've been to other countries and um, stayed for a lengthy amount of times at times, weeks at a time, and it is very common to see the same person sitting on the same corner begging every day. You know, that's their spot. It's very common to see the same people in the same places. Not so much here, but it is in in a lot of places. And so what happened was Jesus rearranged the picture. Withered hand man now is healed. And everybody sees it. And everybody's talking about it. And so what happens is, is a large crowd begins to form. And this large crowd forms and they begin to follow Jesus. You can only imagine. How many of you have sick people in your life? How many of you have people in your life who have been dealing with an affliction for years? If it's that way in our country with our medicine, with our medical advances, you can only imagine what it had been like in a place where there's leprosy, things that are easily cured here. The pain medicine that we have at our disposal here is not there. And people are hurting, people are deformed, people have diseases. And so you can only imagine the amount of people who want to follow Jesus because he just healed withered hand man, right? And so they begin to follow him. And what does Jesus do? Who loves community is right in the middle of it. The Bible says he heals every one of them, every one of them. He heals them. And then it says, Let's see. 
Oh, this is really cool. So I remember back in college, it's like I'm in my own head talking to myself. I'm sorry. Um, I remember being in college, and I remember going through a time that was really, really difficult for me. And I remember um, I read this scripture. I had never seen it before. I wasn't a great, you know, Bible reader when I was much younger. And I remember coming across a scripture and it painted such a picture for me in a perfect time. Because you know, that's what the word does. It paints this picture for us that enables us to supernaturally relate to God and believe in God in a way we never have before. That's how powerful the word is. And I remember I read the verse here, 20 and 21. And it says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Everybody say justice. Amen. So we see here, this is just a quotation from the Old Testament, actually. Jesus is quoting it. It's incredibly powerful, and we see the story kind of go, and Jesus has just seen a lot of bruised reeds and a lot of smoldering wicks, a lot of discouragement. A lot of you know, if you have been, had a health condition that has lasted a long time, especially if it's painful, if you have suffered for anything for any length of time, you know how the enemy gets in your head. Not only is your physical body tormented, but it's really an emotional torment too, right? And so Jesus is, is saying this as he's just healed all these people and he's encouraging them and himself, really. The next thing that happened was there was a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute and Jesus healed him. This is really interesting. It says that Jesus healed this demon-possessed man. I mean, you would think people are excited because demon-possessed man was probably part of the landscape. In that time, people knew people by their afflictions, actually, because they'd seen him roaming around. And in the context of community, it was closer-knit. So people see a demon-possessed person, and they see Jesus come up, and they see Jesus heal this guy. And suddenly, the people who are hungry begin to say, what? Is this the son of David? Is this him? Like, is, is he the one? Because you know what that would have meant? It's like, he the promise? It's like awakening inside of them, not what he's doing, but actually who he is. Is he the justice is he the justice that is coming to the earth? Is he, is, is he the kingdom of God that is going to be established in Israel and Jerusalem and throughout the earth? Is he the one we've been waiting for? Little sentence. Is he, is he? And then suddenly, the Pharisees want to get right in front of it. And so they say this. Oh, it's only Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So what they're saying is, is like, no, this isn't the promise. This is a problem. He's the problem. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan... He is divided against himself. 
later at verse 30, it says, whoever is not with me, Jesus is saying this, whoever is, is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Then in verse 33, it says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit, you brood of vipers. He's speaking to the ones who are saying that, that good is evil. And he's calling them a brood of vipers because they're, he, what they're trying to do is put a lie in front of the hungry. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you'll be condemned. That's pretty powerful. And the final thing, right before Mary and the brothers show up, that kind of crescendos the whole thing, is that now the Pharisees are just scrambling. They hate him. He is messing everything up. And then they say, teacher, as if they're complimenting him, teacher, we want a sign from you. We want a sign. Give us a sign. I mean, as if like, Withered man healed isn't a sign. As if demon possessed man, you know, free and healed isn't a sign. As if all that isn't enough, they want more. They want a sign. And Jesus rebukes them. And once again, you know, he, he really harshly comes at the system. Because I want you to note again, it's because time is short. The hungry need a savior and they are trying to get in the way. That's why Jesus didn't have a personal agenda. He loved these Pharisees as people. But it was a wrong thinking, and it came as a religious, it came as, a, as light. They were trying to say, like, this is how you're saved is through the law, but Jesus had come to fulfill the law. And so Jesus was like, no matter how he felt about these Pharisees, he had to deal with it in front of the people who were hungry so that he could cast down the arguments that would keep them from being able to embrace truth, right? And so it's there that Jesus, his mother and brothers come, and they want to see him because they want to say, uh, you know how they really liked you a bit ago, but you're stirring the pot, and mom's probably scared for him. She's hearing rumors. They're plotting to kill him. The brothers are worried about their mother, maybe. I don't know. They weren't followers of Jesus necessarily. So, you know, they're coming to support mama. Mama is upset. And Jesus wants to take this opportunity to make some definitives for his people. And what he says is to them, we are not who we are born to. That is not necessarily our people. My people are the people who share my identity. My people are the people who do what I do. Jesus had just said, if you don't gather with me, you scatter. So Jesus is saying to them, when you were born into the kingdom, the Bible talks about it being born again. When you're born again, now your citizenship looks like a heaven's citizenship. Your citizenship primarily is heaven. It's all heaven. And what Jesus is saying is, is that all the things that these people, all, all the, the life, all the liberty, all the freedom, 
all the justice that the world is going to need is going to be from him and through the people who are trekking with him. That's how it's going to come. And in a, in a day like today, and it makes me nervous to say it because I want y'all to know my heart, but the church has got to be vocal and remind and remember, we have got to remember that justice, anything that's established, any agenda that is established on this earth that is outside Jesus is not justice. It is smoke screens and mirrors. Because Jesus said, the seed you sow is the tree you get. And there are some seeds in life that they're not bad. I mean, really. You get, there are things, I'm not saying everything outside of um, the church itself is bad. But what I'm saying is, is Jesus knows if we want people to be free, to be redeemed and restored, it is not going to happen outside of his kingdom. And it's got to happen through the people who are with Christ, who know their identity, because the world is going to go, aha, I gotcha. And if we don't know who we are, we are going to tremble and we're going to shrink back. And we are not of a people who shrink back. We're not. Not if our identity is in Christ. And I want to tread here lightly because I want you to know my heart. I want you to know my heart. Please go into it knowing my heart. It does not matter what we are born into, our race, our finances, our, our economics. There's the promise of Jesus is for all of us, and it makes us one. It makes us one. And the gift that we get to be born into, the races that we're born into, and the economics and all the things, because even in this country, we are so blessed. We really are. If you want to talk about economically, But even in that, those are really, we're born into them as a gift of God for the mission he has for us. We should love that. We should embrace that. We should look at it as our life before Christ as a case study on how to share the gospel. My roots, some of them are great and some of them stink. And we've been hurt and we've also been healed and we've also, some of us have been lost. And it's that way for all of us. I am not saying that where we came from doesn't matter. What I'm saying, it's not the front seat when we walk with Christ. I'm saying our citizenship is in heaven. And so Jesus here is saying, who are my mother? Who, where's my mother? And, and, and get his heart right too, because we can misunderstand Jesus' heart sometimes in Scripture. He loved his mom. Jesus loved his mom, but he loved his father in heaven, and he knew what he was there for, and he even knew that it was the very salvation of his mom that depended on the, the, the message being received. Like, she would have to embrace that message too, and he knew that if his people would be faithful to live out the life and the liberty and the justice that came from the kingdom of God, that they would affect the world and infect the world in such a way that the things that, that a lot of us are trying to catch up river, we wouldn't even have to worry with. You know, the Bible says when a tree is small, you can bend it, right? Have you ever seen a little tree? I always want to buy them bigger, Eddie, because I don't want to have to be patient, you know? There's these little trees, 
And you can bend them and you can shape them. You can put them, they're a lot easier to deal with. But have you ever tried to move a tree or deal with a tree that has, is full grown? You know? And so Jesus, in his word and in his wisdom, he is, he is saying, and in fact, I was telling Reagan earlier, I was reading in, um, I think it was in Corinthians this week, and it's very similar in terms of agenda and God's people kind of getting, we can often get things confused quite a bit, and in, I think it was 14 or 15 in 1 Corinthians, they were literally arguing over Jesus being raised from the dead, and Paul is like, why are you arguing over who's being raised from the dead? Like, why are you even saying you're a Christian if you don't believe the power of God raised Jesus from the dead? What are you even doing? Like, why did you adopt this in the first place? And then also, they were, they were going and getting dead people, and they were baptizing them. And then they were getting baptized in the stead of dead people. And so Paul is like, what are you even doing with that? If you don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, why are you even doing that? You're like literally so confused. You literally are a house divided against itself. Because you're trying to take on the pagan agenda the like it was very political and pagan was all very mixed. You're trying to take on the nature of that kingdom, but you're trying to combine it with something and the two will never be able to work. And so therefore you're just, it's useless. Your faith is useless. And that is what we're doing today. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I guess what, what I feel like the Lord is showing us through the scripture is that there are two kingdoms and our identity matters. And the darker it gets, the more questions about identity come into play. Because when God is removed, the identity of the, the earth, the identity of people, the people groups, it is removed. We have got to find who we are. Nobody can live without identity. And so if God isn't in the picture, identity will be sought out because we are desperate for it. And so with identity, we have got to know who we are. We have got to identify with the people who have the same mission. It will never work if we are not connected to people who are doing the will of God. We have got to be with our family, right? But it doesn't mean we don't we take ourselves out of the communities that we're from. It means we are empowered to go into them to reap the harvest and bring them back into this kingdom. And then it's also important we know God's priorities because we can be, we can say we have this identity in Christ, we can know who our people are, but if we don't know the word of God, we will not know what his priority is. And so we have got to know the priorities of God. And so I want you guys to stand, if you would, with me. And as a mom, I want to say that there's nothing I pray for more for New Hope, more I have walked through the halls of our children's department, through the, the student center, and my prayer is the most elementary of all, Jesus, let their identities be set in you. Let their identities be set in you when they're that young tree. Let their identities be set in you and let the tree grow strong and straight, Lord. 
because there's no time to waste. But the beauty of it is, it doesn't matter what, when you hear the gospel, there's something supernatural that causes us to be able to believe God for who he is if we choose to embrace that. So God, would you in your sovereign power, would you come to your church, Lord, and would you allow us, Lord, to experience you in such a way, if we are outside of the perimeters, God of your kingdom, Lord, allow us to step back in. Lord, if we are, if we are looking for your kingdom to come in the other kingdom, Lord, if we're looking for your kingdom to come with seeds from another plant, God, would you show us what it would look like to plant the seeds that come from the kingdom of God. Lord, that our citizenship would be made firm in you, in Jesus' name. God, would you inspire us to not live on the edges, but to live in the center of what you're doing. Lord, in the middle of a crowd like you did, loving on people and sharing the power of the Holy Spirit to heal, to set free, to mend everything. Lord, where there are hurts in this house, God, would you heal them? Lord, where there has been an attack on people because of their race, Lord, I pray, God, that you would bring healing. I pray that, God, you would, you would cause your people to be convicted in the areas where they have not shown your love to all people and where they have offended. Your word says that offenses are gonna come. They're gonna come to people in your kingdom. They're gonna come on the outside of your kingdom. Your word says, woe to the one that they come from, God. And so, Lord, we're gonna let you do the woe. And we're gonna trust you. And Lord, we are gonna live as people of the kingdom of God, forgiven and forgiving. Lord, we're gonna align ourselves with your agenda, with your word, and we're gonna walk in your truth. And then we're gonna put energy to your gospel. In Jesus' name, we love you so much. Amen.